The Making Sense of Life podcast number 42. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja. As we explore what it means to make sense of life in an increasingly challenging and complex world. On today's podcast, we're exploring the question... What does it take to live a meaningful life? And to help us explore that, I've got uh, Dr. John Geeter with me. John, it's great to have you here. It's great to be with you, Sunil. Thank you. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, John is uh, age 73. Um, He's lived a very full life, and that's why we're going to explore this question. But let me just say a little bit bit about his background. Uh, John was given an MBE in 2006, um, because of his role in setting up uh, a charity called um, Prime, which is Partnership in International Medical Education. He's married to Jane, and they have three adult children. And as a medical doctor, he's worked in Bhutan for five years. He's been a general GP in New Zealand, as well as here in the UK. But he's also got a whole variety of of interests. He's an artist. He writes plays for amateur theatre, one of which was considered um, for for showing um, by a Channel 4 d- director, but unfortunately never got there, but it was certainly on, on is, is there in storage one day maybe to, be, to, 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 to come to life. And he's also very interested in politics as well, local politics, and he had a role in, in, in enabling cigarette smoking to be banned from public places. So you, as you can see, he's certainly lived a very varied and full life. And that's part of the reason why I was keen for, for John to be uh, on the podcast, but the another very important reason that's really brought this, as it were, to head and into sharp focus is that in Christmas of 2017, uh, John was, was told that he has a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer with secondaries in his lung and that he has a terminal illness. Now, back in Christmas uh, time, he was told that he probably had um, three months to live. Well, by God's grace... Um, we're well past that three-month uh, process. It's, we're about f- four or five months later. And uh, John is in good health. You're, you're doing well, I think. I fit extremely well. Which we're very thankful for. And so John's going to explore with us about what does it take to actually live a meaningful life. And I want to start by, John, uh, by asking you, when things go wrong, when you get a diagnosis like this, um, and you've had three diagnoses of cancer in your life, uh, it's very easy to instinctively blame God. Uh, we explored that um, in a more sort of, fr- from a sort of biblical framework in Podcast 28 with our interview with Chris Wright on the God I Don't Understand. But I'd love to talk to you now about your experience of trying to make sense of life when things do go so badly wrong. 
Yeah, I, th I think for, for me, a great lesson was, was learned when I had a small kidney stone many years ago. And it was so small, it was in the ureter, which is coming down the tube from the kidney, and it jammed there. Now, the chances were 100 to 1 that it would, would pass. They do, except in my case, it's stuck. So 1% chance that it would get stuck, and it did get stuck. It did, it did, and I... I did feel that why why is it me why is it me why because it was going to be a very big and painful operation to put it right uh one in a hundred why me god and i it was as if i heard god say well if it's one in a hundred would you rather it was somebody else right so would you rather have that or somebody else and, and, and t tell us more about that well <laughs> i suppose my human reaction would be yeah let it be somebody else but then i thought no actually that's wrong you know, we are human. We we take for granted the the blessings that our humanity gives us. Um, we we don't often say to God, "Oh, I blame God for this this lovely sunrise." We say when we do think that way at all, we say, "Thank you, God, for this lovely sunrise, and and the pleasures it gives." And we are all flesh. We all die sometime. But the the thing is that if you take advantage, I mean, I, I read a book. Once that, that had a one of the characters some bad things had happened to him, and um, the uh, his his response was, "Well, we've done nothing to deserve life, yeah. you know, and just one first breath of air, you know, we've done nothing to deserve that. One smile on your child's face, we 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 get." so much more out of life than we've ever deserved yeah. and yet so we ignore when the good things happen or we take them for granted or we we feel that we deserve them and yet the moment something goes wrong like little children we're quick to blame and quick to to find someone to um to say it's your fault and often it's god who gets the blame okay but You've had three diagnoses of cancer in your life. Um, it was colonic cancer in 1997 when you lost your spleen, uh, breast cancer in 2010, and then your pancreatic cancer was first diagnosed in 2014 uh, when you had what's called the Whipple's procedure, when you had a large part of your, well, half of your pancreas removed. Um, how do you make sense of that? Um, I don't try to. <laughs> Okay. I don't try to. I I think you know why I've got no genetic propensity. I've I've lived a pretty healthy life. I, I've been living five years in the Himalayas, of which probably two months a year was spent uh, uh, trekking, going to outlying villages and things. I, that was in Bhutan. That was yeah. in Bhutan. I was very very fit and healthy then, except a bit malnourished. Um, no, I I I think one has to accept that things can come out of these illnesses i mean i i lost my spleen yes yeah, about the loss because because that, that that's strange thing well not strange things but it had an interesting series of events happen from from losing your spleen having had colonic, colonic cancer and yeah. how, how you, it sort of took your career in a different direction yes because you know people can survive without spleens and so when the surgeon told me that my spleen had been involved with the original cancer and had to take it out i thought well it's no big deal and then the microbiologist said to me, well, have you thought of whether you could continue as a GP because your immunity will have been severely damaged? And, you know, if you see a child with a stiff neck who's being sick, uh, would you go near them when you might catch um, meningitis? Because they have quite serious consequences right. for you. 
So, so they they pensioned me off from the NHS, which um, was well, it was in many ways good because I got a full pension. But it also meant that my long term ambition of actually returning to the Himalayas when my children were through university and working frontline service for the for the really poor and, and needy of the world was also dashed because that was out of the question. So my life changed direction and uh, has taken in a, a way that I could not have foreseen. And so that was, in a sense, how Prime got set up then? It was, yes. I, I was just, uh, I'd already been given a vision for uh, including, the, well, the spiritual, the emotional, the ethical within standard uh, biological medical education and we were starting to run one or two courses for GPs in the south of England, one of which was announced as the best course ever by the um, the faculty newsletter of the RCGP. Wow. And um, That's the Royal College of General Practitioners. Yes, that's right, which was a great surprise. That was the very first thing we did, and it said that. And um, Because we were bringing the human being back into the picture. Right, and we're going to find out more about Prime in our next podcast, but I want to focus a little bit more on that question in terms of when things go wrong, and you said how it was that you had your spleen removed in 1997 after the colonic cancer, and that took an unexpected turn of events because then you had to retire as a GP, but then you then set up Prime. But also, in, in another way that when things go wrong, you also, in 2014, I think it was, when you had the pancreatic cancer diagnosis, you went away from the hospital and you you hit your head and you and you had something we call a subdural hematoma, a, a big blood clot on on, uh, on your brain. I'd, I'd actually hit my head um, about five weeks before, which wasn't severe enough to knock me out. So, you know, I, I thought, well, that was a stupid thing to do. But um, when they told me I needed the big operation for the pancreatic cancer, uh, they were they were going to do a full body scan to make sure there weren't any secondaries from either my breast cancer or my colonic cancer before they embarked on such a major operation. And I just asked them if they would include the, the head in it because I'd had this bang and they'd already put me on anticoagulants. And um, and so they said, well, that's no problem, we'll do that. And I went through the whole of the pre-surgical examination just 10 days or so before the operation was due. And um, they found nothing. I had the scan and the radiologist said oh that's fine you can go and I was driving on a very busy so this is immediately after the appointment you're driving home yes I was driving home the 80 miles from Guildford to Hastings and I got a message on my mobile phone saying report immediately to your nearest A&E Wow. And that was because they had looked at the scan and seen that so I they, they looked at it a second time and re, re, re looked at it or? yeah well I, th- I, th- I think they they it, it takes a time to, to get the whole okay. picture process. I don't know much about scans, but they, they had seen this huge um, blood clot on my brain, which was, well, I, they showed me the thing. It was enormous. And the strange thing was, I did manage to turn the car So you around. turned the car around, yeah. I turned the car around. By the time, I, 15 minutes later, when I got to the hospital, I couldn't put it in a parking space. And within an hour and a half or two hours, I was actually paralysed down my left side. Wow. And and semi-conscious. And that would have happened on the, the motorway. Driving right. home in rush hour, it would have been the most awful oh, thing. Yeah. Now, the, 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 um, the timing was just phenomenal. Because so, you had to go on and have urgent uh, emergency surgery to, to your brain. So yes. 
if we go back to our initial question, when things go wrong, we very quickly blame God. And yet there's a certain mystery about oh, it as God. well because yeah. of uh, the whole timing of it. And so you could see God's hand in protecting you as well. I, and protecting other people. It would have been <laughs> carnage on the M25 in Russia if I'd have, have continued driving. So uh, I, I don't know. Life is a mystery. There, there really is. And you have to accept there's so much good mystery in life. There's along with that. There are adverse events. But... In, in my experience, God has always turned the adverse events into something even better. That's, that's wonderful to hear. I mean, yes, I think the, the quote that um, um, uh, from, I think it's from Johnny Erickson Tarder is that uh, God, God uh, permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Yeah. Um, and that partly explains the mystery, but obviously, as we say, there's, there's lots that we don't understand. No, and you do encounter some people who say, well, that is not my experience. And, and I've treated patients, particularly... Uh, out in Bhutan and some of the poorest people in the world, the, the Nepali road labourers, and, and, and you think, what's, what's good about their lives? And that just makes me more passionate to actually make their lives better because I've, I've had a very good life, despite all these cancers and things. My life has been overwhelmingly a blessing to me. Wow, I, that, that's, that's, that's really encouraging to hear. You say you believe God has a plan for your life. You have to listen and then obey what do, what do you mean by that? <laughs> I, I've, I've never been very good at obeying. Oh, and right, I, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I did, uh, was temporarily suspended from school because I insisted on breaking school rules that didn't have a moral basis to them. I just oh, did, right. just to the, um, the daring of it, but which wasn't very creditable. But um, no, I, I, um, I, I, th I think... If you entrust your life to God, you have to trust him. And in some ways, it, it is one of the things I learned when I went to acting classes to learn a little bit about uh, deep acting was some of the exercises were just like falling backwards into somebody's arm just to develop a sense of trust and reliability. And, you know, the, one story that was told to me by an Indian Army colonel who was engaged in the border warfare that's ongoing between Pakistan and India, tragically. Um, he said that when, when they had to send a spotter out to see where the shells were landing, they had to choose somebody utterly reliable to go and uh, move forward into dangerous territory to see where the mortar shells were landing and radio it back. And he said, and so you had to choose somebody really good, but equally the chance was only one in three that they would return. Ooh, okay. And so he, he had the tragic job of calling one of his better members of the troop. Knowing that there's a one in three chance he would never see them again. Yes. And he, he said he had to say that, but inevitably they would salute and say, thank you, sir. Wow. Now, I think it's an honour to face hardship for God because we've done nothing to deserve life, you know. Mm. And, and one, one breath of air, one smile on your child's face, as I, I read in a novel by uh, an Australian author called Morris, Colin Morris, I think. But, um, you know, they, they are infinitely pleasurable and we've done nothing to deserve them. We're yeah, so we quick, so easily forget um, the good that, that we have and we're quick to, to, yeah. to blame. But let's just, you know, let's, if we think about, about your life, um, I remember you, you told me before, before this podcast that you did your A-levels and you were going to do geology. And then you asked yourself the question, is this really what God wants for me? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I I don't know why. I, during my teenage years, I shifted in and out of being uh, religious and a complete uh, scientific atheist. And um, I, I did... Uh, I was converted by a snipe, but that's a totally different story. The only person who's ever been converted by a bird, I think. What, what, what you saw a bird and you I thought saw, that? I saw a bird doing a ridiculous mating dance. It, was, it goes up into the air and then just folds its wings and drums its legs together and uh, just levels out before it crashes into the ground. I thought, well, doesn't that prove that God can't exist to make something so stupid as that? And, and then I thought, well, <laughs> no, the, the fact that the snipes do that and don't fall into the ground um, means that God rescues them and and so I said it, it, you know, you can't prove that God exists or he doesn't but so the only choice really is to, is to stake your, your life on one or the other it's a bit yes. like and ultimately we do on one or the other without whether we are consciously aware of it or not and, and I said so I'm free to believe and I felt so happy right. <laughs> I, I'm free to believe and um you know, you go through periods of doubt sometimes, but, you know, ultimately you have to, to, to stake your life on something. So, so if we go back, so you, you, did, you were doing your A-levels and you said that you pray till 3am. Should you, you know, what should you, what does God want you to do? Oh, yeah, so back to the question. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 um, I didn't get an answer. I didn't get an answer. And that happens to so many of us so yes. often, doesn't it? But the next day, when I got home from school, my mother had a visitor and she said, what subjects are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing geology, physics and biology. So that's a very strange set of subjects to do. I want to be an oceanographic paleontologist. Ooh, that's a, that's a big word. It would have been wonderful, the start of the oceanographic oil exploration. Oh, right. And, but I just found myself saying, I want to be a doctor. And I hadn't ever thought of it. And as I said those words, I knew that was what I was going to do. Wow. And... You know, it's a bizarre experience, but it was absolutely right. I can't think of anything else in the world that I'd rather have been than a doctor. Wow. And and then you, there's a sort of interesting series of events, really, wasn't it, after that? Um, I think you were offered a place at Cambridge, but you had to be 18. But you were only 16 or something like that? Yes. No. <laughs> you, did your, you did these A-levels very, very early. Um, and then you... you but Birmingham offered you to go at 17, so off you went to Birmingham. You, you decided to go at medical school, you'd be, be an orthopedic surgeon, um, but then that sort of went in a different direction as well. Um, yeah, I, uh, again, I, I, I suddenly felt unsettled just a month before I was going to start a, an absolutely ideal rotation, which almost, well, probably had never existed before they offered it me. And um, I, I prayed, I thought, but I, I, I did medicine because I wanted to do something in the developing world. I wanted to do something for people who really needed yeah. medicine. And if I go through all this orthopedic medicine rotation, you know, I might be married, have children, and never do that. And so I was unsettled. I wasn't, didn't feel it was wrong to do it, but I, I, I prayed and prayed to God. And um, the next morning, I was walking down the hospital corridor, and the head of surgery met me and said, oh... I, I need to have a word with you. We had a meeting of the finance committee yesterday and um, they haven't scheduled your rotation. <laughs> so suddenly things... Again, you could blame God for that as well. You could get angry about that as well. No, no, he said, he said um, it's still your job, but it will start a month later, which would be lovely, a summer holiday of a month. Um, but I, I, I just found myself saying, without thinking, I said, oh, well, I won't be needing it now. 
And as I walked down the corridor, I thought, what have I done? <laughs> this is crazy. But that afternoon, I met the obstetrician I'd worked with as a student. He said, um, what are you doing? I said, don't know. And he said, well, would you like to work for me? Oh, right. And I said, yes. And he said, well, I'll put your name on the list and we'll give you an interview. And uh, I ended up doing obstetrics and then I logically did paediatrics because then I got four jobs that equipped me to be a general doctor in a developing country. Because that was your long-term goal was to then yes, get to Bhutan. And that's what I'd set out to do with it. And, and I got diverted into something else, which looking back, I wouldn't have been a good orthopedic surgeon. I think, I think many patients were rescued from me. <laughs> uh, the other thing actually worth mentioning, which you, you, you talk about, is that you had this strange idea that you were going to die at 26. And um, that gave you a great sense of urgency. Now, it, 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 seemed quite, it, it was quite irrational. I mean, it, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I am irrational. I think life is irrational. Um, uh, but uh, no, I, I don't know where I got that idea from, except I did live in a tragically four boys that I was in the, the biological sixth form with at school died before I finished university. Oh, so that really brought to, to light well, just how, how yeah. fragile life is. And I was one of the more reckless of them, so I, I, I don't know. And I, I just felt, well, you have to make the most of every part of your life. You know, we've only got this one, mm. then we enter eternity, which we can't really imagine. Mm. But we've got one life that's gifted to us by God. And we must use it to the full, not just for our own pleasure, but to actually leave the world better when we depart from it. Mm. And I, I had that sense of urgency, one, you know, you know, that you have to get on and do things. But at the same time, enjoy the world. That's part of our, our being. Yeah. Unless you're actually appreciating it. I, I looked up one time, I remember, soon after my first cancer operation, I looked up at a, a tree. It was only three weeks after the, the op and I'd had two meetings scheduled for that morning and um, I arrived early and it was a lovely day and um, I looked at the buds on a tree opening and leaves coming out and I'd never noticed them before. You know, you not, not in detail. Something that's so ordinary and yet yeah. presumably so beautiful and fascinating. And I thought, maybe I'm the only person who will see those buds opening into leaves. You know, but just for me, that God has provided such a... A wonderful world and I just want others to enjoy that world you know because I, I think so many people sell themselves so, so short by actually not 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 enjoying what life gives uh, but the only way you can really enjoy that is if you're sharing that with others yeah. if you give that same enjoyment sure. that same health the same yeah, and also make uh, lots of mistakes on the way in making decisions, because obviously, as you <laughs> Yeah, I don't think God blames us for making mistakes. But I, in, in my case, every time I've made a major mistake, he has pulled me up short. And Let, Let's talk about, because you, you then worked in Bhutan from 1970 to 1975 as a medical superintendent of a, les lepre a, a leprosy hospital. Um with what Tibetan refugees? Just, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, I ended up at the age of twenty-five with just two years' experience. So you're only twenty-five. My yes. goodness, and desperately unprepared, and made many mistakes. But um, no, I was in charge of a, a hospital at twenty. What? Tw how old? I'm twenty-five. That is staggering. <laughs> crazy, crazy. Um, um, but um, 
one of the responsibilities was two and a half thousand Tibetan refugees who'd fled from the Chinese persecution in Tibet. And um, they, they were an amazing group of people because they'd, they'd endured all sorts of hardship and, and stuff to get out. And yet there was a resilience amongst them, which, which surprised me. And, um, you know, I, th I think that's because they, they actually were a group of people who worked together. They built their houses in their refugee villages themselves. They shared that work for each other. And, and I came to realize, really, that that solidarity is what human beings need to make them fulfilled. So it's sort of um, community with one another. Yes, and yet modern life here is is making more and more fragmentation. Yeah, we're more separated out. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, I, I think I think we must work with others in building that collective spirit, one for all and all for one. Yes, musketeers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, but um, I mean that's an incredible experience. You know, from the age of twenty five to be doing that kind of um, that work. You know, running a hospital and. You had you certainly had your challenges. It must have been very sort of character building for you because I know that I understand there were sort of issues about financial mismanagement going on that you had to deal with. You had to deal obviously with quite intense um, medical issues as well as and, and running a hospital. Yes, and and uh, national leprosy control system, which was one of the great joys because it gave me the opportunity of exploring parts of Bhutan that no other uh, non-Bhutanese, non-Indian person had the opportunity yeah. of. We had very very early permits issued to be there and and so it was tough and, and I made many mistakes as one would expect um, there were all sorts of difficulties but there were great joys and, and it, it was something which I could never have imagined and uh, you know so many of my classmates at medical school said oh I wish I could do something like that but I can't afford to well I had no more money than they did and now when we had our 50th reunion the other year they are saying, oh, I wish I'd done something like you did. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting. It's amazing how, how, how life turns out and where things go. Um, let's just move it on a little bit because let's go back again. Obviously, you have this terminal illness. Mm -hmm. You have this diagnosis. And we're very thankful that you're in good health currently. What would you say to someone who is facing a terminal illness and is scared. I, I would tell them it's quite right to be scared because you're approaching the unknown and perhaps the unknowable. I think my people might construct all sorts of religious scenarios, but we just don't know because we pass from our comfortable four-dimensional universe into something far, far greater. And that's where I've found great joy in, in starting to understand quantum physics and just realize... Yeah, tell us about this quantum physics. Yeah, I, and I can't, I'm not the right person to tell you. I've only got a vague understanding. But it is just the, the, the thing that, you know, our senses allow us to detect certain things which are compatible with a four-dimensional, three-spatial world. Yeah, so we live in a three-dimensional world, and yet there's much more to what we can see, touch, and feel. In the same way, pro probably, as if someone were to talk about radio waves or Wi-Fi... Yeah. 30 well, radio waves 200 years ago or wi-fi even 30 years ago yeah. th there is a different dimension that we're not aware of and yet it enables us to access um another dimension another another uh, branch of reality that we're currently not aware of and i think what you're saying is that quantum physics has helped you to understand that there is another dimension to life 
which is much greater than we currently understand. Yes, I am very struck with the, you know, if we, if we imagine a, a two-dimensional being, a shadow on a wall which had consciousness, that shadow would only be able to understand a very limited view. And the Bayeux Tapestry, which is very close to us in Hastings. Yes, we're in Hastings, in case you're wondering, with this interview. The Bayeux Tapestry, of course, we being in a third dimension, looking in on it, we can see the beginning and we can see the end. Mm. But the neither the Saxons nor the Normans at the start of the Bayeux Tapestry could know what was awaiting the end. And it makes such a difference, the beginning and the end. Whereas God, who exists in this dimension but also beyond it, actually can see the beginning and the end. And he can see the best beginning and the best end for, for people. It can't... I mean, I mean, the mystery is, why doesn't he make life good for everybody? And I think the, the thing is, it's a struggle between light and darkness and all these yeah. analogies. And our job is to commit ourselves to fight for the light that we want to fight for love for care for compassion for people and ultimately your life is judged not by what your religion is but whether your heart obeys the law that god has written in it as, as apostle paul writes in second chapter of romans so that you find yourself doing that which god requires that you don't do it because it's a law, you might get a reward, but because it gives you joy to be serving a God who loves the people of this earth. And it, it, it's difficult to explain that until you actually allow God to, to come into your heart. And I, I'm not a great religious fanatic. I, I, think, I think there are things we can all learn from each other of different faiths. And in fact, being part of an interfaith forum has given me a great deal more understanding of my own Christian faith and and broadened it and, and deepened it. But I think people who, people I feel satisfied for is those who struggle to find God and, and somehow don't. Um, people who don't look for God, I I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to make sense of, of life if you haven't got a infinite reference point uh, within which to make sense of that yes i i'm i praise god i, I mean as i said i was a uh, an unbeliever and <laughs> you know i think god imposed himself on me and i i just thank him for that because i have lost faith once in my life and mm. I, I know how dark it was and I, I I think I might actually have committed suicide whoa that's it was so without god yeah. life because ultimately life is futile you know, if, if we're, we're born by a, um, an act committed by our parents and so we're just biological and when we finish, it's meaningless. And yet committing one's life to God gives a purpose, it gives a meaning and what is much more, it gives direction and power to, to do those things which he's told yes. you to do. And just using that example of bio-tapestry, I mean, a more, a more modern example would be if you think about a movie, and I've found this very helpful, is that if you look at a single scene in a movie, you know, the, you know, the hero or the heroine may be going through a very difficult period and it may make no sense and it can be terribly tragic. And yet when you see it in the context of the whole movie, then it makes sense. And we granted that there is, there, life is a mystery often and sometimes things don't make sense, even 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. 
but we hold on to the fact that somebody can make sense of it even if it's not us yes i i, th- I think that's right we we play a part in a much bigger picture and um you know the bible is, is full of those promises that you don't understand now you can't understand now because you're not sure what's going on at all but if you there, there's another dimension, if you like, of, yeah. of, of of reality that we're just not aware of. That's right, absolutely, and and I think I think you know vague understanding of quantum that I I have has has just made so much of the Bible come alive. We've got to get out of a sort of medieval picture of of God and Christ and and everything else, and and come to what actually <clears throat> the New Testament actually says and interpret that in our modern understanding because then it becomes so quantum things can pass through walls um and yet jesus and as, as, Je- as jesus passed through walls as well yes the resurrection when he he lived in both the eternal dimension and the temporal dimension so in the same way that wi-fi can and radio waves can move through walls that's right. so can so did jesus that's right and just as we can make shadows, two-dimensional impression of ourselves, we can make those move on a, on a flat surface because we're outside that dimension, God's outside, and we exist in him in a way touching onto that further dimension so that if we put ourselves in his hands and trust him, and all this thing about driverless cars now, my son who's involved in that development assures me that they're much safer than those with drivers in. But, um, but we have to trust them. We have to trust them. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Um, anything f- finally you want to say? I mean, obviously it's a huge subject, but anything you'd, you'd want to say to someone who's facing a terminal illness and is scared? Any, any, other, any other final comments on that? Well, I, I, th- I think it's right to be scared. I th- we don't know. You know, when I first had the diagnosis for a, a short period of time, a matter of hours, I, I really was quite devastated many of the thought of leaving my wife, my children, uh, everything else. And um, and th- then, I don't know, th- then I felt an incredible reassurance. I've, I've had so many people praying for me through through the Prime Network all over the world. And people in, in desperate circumstances, some of them in battlefields and things, praying for me. And golly, that, that is so affirmative, this, this family of God that we have of people who are all dedicated to making the world a better place and that's the hallmark of true christianity and i think that power of god flowing through people who actually love others said god so loved the world that he gave us his son he loved it and although there was a terrifying circumstance that accomplished that love you know most of us for somebody we would love we would give our own lives yes and and with the cross as well the cross appeared to be such a, a terrible thing and yet it's from 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 that cross and from that death life flows absolutely absolutely john let's move on because um there's, there's an author called Bronnie ware and she's written a book called the um the five regrets of the dying and she goes through she's she's a hospice nurse and she noticed in her time with people who were terminally ill and dying that there was a pattern with the kind of regrets that they had and, and I'm going to run through those five regrets. And and the key thing about them is really is while there's life, there's always hope. I think you said to me something about this is that um, the last day of your life is always the present or something like that. Yes, yes. It, it's always today when you die. Yeah. I mean, there's no other time. You don't die yesterday. You don't die uh, 
tomorrow is because there's always today when it happens. Yeah, and we're always living in today. So yes. we're recording this sometime in um, 2018. Uh, but you may be listening to this in 2019 or 2020 or who knows yeah. when. So uh, it's, it's always today. Yes. So what Bronnie Ware did was she found that, that, that there was this pattern, these five regrets. And I'm going to go through each one. Um, I'll, I'll read them out. I'll read the five of them and then we'll go through each one really. Um, and obviously the key thing is to ensure that you don't leave this earth without having sorted these out so that you don't have these regrets. So the first was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The second was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The third was, I wish I'd had the courage to uh, express my feelings. The fourth, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And fifth, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Let's just go back to those, um, John, and you very kindly agreed to sort of reflect on your life in these ways. So the first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me. <laughs> now, from what we've heard of you, you've certainly done that. Well, no, I, I, I think if I'd lived my life as I determined it, I, 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 w I would have had a, a I'd probably achieved something, but it would not be what God has enabled me to achieve. Yeah, because I remember you said it, because if you'd gone into geology, that your colleagues with geology sort of, well, you tell me about that. I know my, my one friend who decided to do exact that topic he ended up with his own oil exploration company his uh, his own ski lodge in the rockies and all sorts of things but i i i, I love fossils as a hobby i've got quite a collection but you know I, th I think life is to do with people more and and you know people who are geologists and bringing us um, advantages from that well that's great but but that wasn't your calling it wasn't my calling I, I would not have been happy and um, and so always questioning is this the right path there was a passage in the book of Isaiah in chapter 30 that really struck me in fact it's a long story but it played a, a big role in me and it says um, you will hear the voice of your teacher clearly uh, when you would turn to the right or turn to the left, saying, this is my way, walk in it. Yeah, that's fascinating. And obviously, as, as we've heard from your life story as well, is that it, it, God keeps guiding one step at a time. I, I think I'm, I'm like a disobedient dog that has to be called back to lead. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 okay, you've explored that, you've had fun. But he said, now, this is what I want you to do. Okay. And the second, <laughs> I can't can't deny that. I really just. Yeah. The second was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean people do come with that regret. I'm grateful that I won't have that because my my way. Yes, it's tough. You get tired. You have frustration, um, and, and there are sacrifices you have to make. But um, it's. If you if if you do what your calling is in life, it, it ceases to be work, and so it's, it brings pleasure. But I do agree that there are people who just make work their god, whereas God expects us to be refreshed. It's like a breathing: you breathe in and you breathe out, and you need. So to you balance periods of activity and work with periods of rest and recuperation and relationship. That's right, and and the. You know the balance. Sometimes you're you're more breathing in, and other times you're more breathing out. But th that's the way we're made. We're meant to have periods of saying, "I worship you, God," and "I serve you, God," or, or 
whatever it is. Okay. How about then you said, I, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. That's that's the third regret of, of the dying from going to Bronnie Ware. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And so many people do find this problem. But um, th- this is one thing I find about being belonging to a church of people who are supportive and love you, love you, absolutely. I mean, the message that people love one another has come to me so forcibly with the incredible number of affirmations that I've had from people. And I feel I've only played a small part in their life, but they express it back. But feelings, the psychological first aid of the the WHO, um, it, it uses the analogy of the hand. And there are five fingers on a hand. And so it says, remind yourself that you need to have five people you can utterly rely on. And you rely on them and they know that they can rely on you. So that when they have a crisis, you'll be non-judgmental. You will love them and you would advise them, um, not with platitudes, but with serious advice. So five people you can utterly trust and you build those relationships, you treasure them. Uh, the two creases on the hand. And those are two things you yourself can do. You know, that, that's, that's really important. So what are the two things? Two, two things that you yourself can do well for some people it might be to go and have a walk and enjoy nature and that sort of thing and to another person it might be um you know, so, it's, so it's being aware what are the two things it were that rejuvenate me and can 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 bring life to me yes that you can do for yourself apart from ringing up on the telephone one of these five persons mm-hmm. and the, the other which i found very useful which i did before i knew it was part of who uh, was that there are a couple of creases on most people's wrists and so the two two sayings that you could almost make to come automatically to mind when you're stressed, things that they may come, there might be words from a, a hymn or a pop song or something, or word of poetry. I'm very much into poetry now. Uh, or words from scripture. And when I was in Bhutan, and obviously facing all sorts of crises, some of which were my own creation through ignorance, but um, I, I would look at the mountains and I remember the verse from the psalm which says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my strength come from? My strength comes from the Lord God who made these mountains. Mm-hmm. And I just found that would come. I'd look at the mountain, that would come. And, um, you know, other, other, other words you might have, even from your mother when she was mm-hmm. small, you know, some of those words you can bring back. And, and so God has given us mechanisms. And you, I think you had like, you said over 200 thank you notes when you retired as a GP or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I was, I was oh dear. Um, I, I, I shared because I, I was seeking whether I should really get up. I mean, everybody said I should give up general practice because of the risk, but I didn't want to leave my patients unlooked after. And so I, I for, a, for a year we wrestled with this until we found a suitable partner and I was keeping them informed of my health because I thought they trust me with theirs so I should inform them of theirs and and so many told me that would have been so helpful and when I did actually retire I had letters from so many it was over over 200 I think say and, and a lot of them yes not, it was interesting what they said actually just yeah I mean some of, the, some of them said thank you for diagnosing my cancer so that I'm still alive and and you know that's that's what you're paid for as a doctor in all honesty I think it's slightly easier to detect cancer if you're on good relationship with your patients, because they will come and and share their worries with you. But um, so many of them said, uh, when my mother died, you were there. You know, it was such a comfort when my husband left me and I was depressed, you brought me through that. And 
you know, even one that said, when my mother died, I saw the tear in your eye and I knew that you cared. And one of the strangest was because my average consultation time was no better than national average, even though I had a quite a needy list of people in a very poor area. Um, but so many of them said, I, you always had time. Mm. And I think that's because time is an expandable thing. Yeah. You know, that if you care for somebody, if you look in their eyes, you detect from their soul what's happening. And and time expands. And, you know, people would think they'd had, a, you know, after six minutes of a consultation, they said, well, we've dealt with everything we need to, doctor. I won't take up any more of your time. And, um, and yet the time had been shorter than the average consultation, which... And, and as a doctor, I would say, if people have to come, keep on coming back and back and back, they've either got a need that they've been reluctant to tell you and you need to explore it, or you just have not given them time yeah. to express what it is in the first place. And if you do that, in fact, the total time that you take is much less if you deal with it because you, they know that they can trust you, know that you will understand them. That's very powerful, very powerful. So if we could, if we could move to the fourth regret. So the fourth, well, just the other three were, I wish I had the courage to live a life that was true to myself, not the life others expected of me. The second was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. The third, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. The fourth is, I wish I'd had stayed in touch with my friends. Absolutely. That, that's one of my regrets. And, and at this time, uh, it, it's a, been an enormous pleasure of... of have um, reunion with with mm. friends and we're meeting with people and and of course this is where the blessing of the modern age is with skype and things and you know having taught in 28 different countries over the time of prime I, i've got friends all over the world who are wanting to be in touch that's wonderful and i just think of we did a podcast i think number 17 with john wyatt about what does it mean to live and die well and it was very interesting. He says that is that a few hundred years ago, the worst possible way to die is what most people would want was like to like like a light bulb just to switch off and be gone in in the night. And yet, that's the worst possible way to die because you haven't got opportunity to yeah. say goodbye and no. to finish off, um, you know, finish off unfinished unfinished business. Do you want to say a bit more about that? Well, I, I I've treasured this time. I mean, I'm conscious in my life. One thing I can't put right. What's my regret is that I have. Um, hurt some people in my life I've done like we all have yeah and I've done things which may have caused pain to people and you know if if I could put those right I would I would love to but I, I can't so we just have to yield those to God and say God I'm sorry for this and please and that and that's why we need to live by grace and that's that's why grace is so important but um no, I, I think staying in touch with friends. I mean, that's one of the problems with traveling the world. Like I have been, you you do lose contact with people. But I've I found this this period that I'm going through now is um, is is wonderful. I'm I'm seeing people even this week. I'm seeing people I haven't seen for a long time, and we're communicating on Skype. But just before this, there was quite a long Skype call with somebody I've not seen for a long time, and, and that's wonderful. And but. You know, do do make contact again if you're if you're dying. Make contact with your friends that you've lost touch with from years ago, if you can. Because it, again, it's relationships and friendships that make sense of life. The fifth and final regret that probably worth highlights is I wish I'd let myself be happier. Yes, yeah, there's not a lot you can reply to that except to say, you know, even now, 
you can find happiness in the love of people around you. You know, just deepen relationships even at this stage. Um, I mean, the glib answer is, oh, put yourself right with God. Uh, that, that, that's a glib answer because that's, that's one of the most difficult. But it's, it's too much. It, 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 it's too short an artist thing to say that, that that's such a huge subject. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, one of my greatest pleasures was when I had a, an 80-year-old nun who was dying and terrified because she never actually met a god of love. She was an 80-year-old nun and she'd never met a god of love. That's right, that's right. She lived in a convent with some very godly nuns, but this, this one, she just kept her feelings to herself all the time and she was terrified of God and and that she believed she would go to hell. I, I, strange. So she didn't understand grace, she didn't understand yeah. what Christ had done for her, even though she was a nun and was 80 years old. That, that's quite tragic. I know, but she 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 saw me there and she she thought I was a priest and said, Pray for me, Father. Pray for me, Father. And and I, I, I thought, well, I, I'll pray for her. And, and just as we were praying, I don't know, something happened. And we came into the presence of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it, it was the most remarkable experience of, of my life. And um, the mother superior said, that was wonderful. She'd been terrified. And after you prayed for her, she died two days later with a smile on her face. Oh, that's that's beautiful. So it's never too late to find true happiness. Yeah, I think that's that's the message. It's never too late to find true happiness. So just just to summarise those five regrets again, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. The second was I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Third, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Fourthly, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And fifth and finally, I wish I'd let myself be happier. Now, John, our final question... um, is about what are you looking forward to about death? We talk about on podcast 29 that we've interviewed with Chris Wright um, on what happens at the end of the world. But I want to ask you that really personal question. It's a question that we don't, my goodness, you know, you don't really ask in everyday conversation. But you've been gracious enough to, to, to do this interview with, with me and to share with, with friends and family around the world and people who don't even know you at all um, in struggles that they're going through. So I want to ask you that. What are you looking forward to about death? Um, I suppose if I'm truly honest, I I would say I hope it comes later rather than sooner. I intend to live until I die. Many people give up halfway. They let the end come before they die. And I don't intend that. Um, I, I don't know is the answer. I believe it is something more wonderful than all these pictures in the Bible, but no one can perceive what eternity yeah, is. Yeah, I think it's going to be No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has, con- has prepared for those who love him. No, because we, we become one in spirit with the Almighty. We pass from this very limited dimensions in which we live into something which is greater. And that's one of the great things about quantum science, that it is it is looking for this multidimensional universe, which, which seems to be the only explanation that can be found. And we pass from the the reality of this world, which which is for some people very painful, other people it's wonderful, but overall it's, it's, it's a marvel. But we pass from that into something which we can only perceive, and that's where... You know, I, I, th- I thank God for some of the brief revelations of something more. I mean, Paul talked about himself as being uh, ascended to the third layer of heaven, which goes very much with Einstein 
concept of a multi-dimensional universe um, where where your your other other detectors rather than just vision and smell and hearing actually start to operate and you experience something beyond any comprehension and I don't know what that's like we can't actually perceive it except in encountering God in in worship sometimes and and in the eyes of people and there, there is something spiritual which we enter into in a way that we are then able to live in it rather than just perceive it as something mm. that is there but we can't really get our hands around it we're actually there you mentioned to me something about a character called Reapy Cheek. Oh yes, <laughs> he's my character. To tell us who he is and, and, and why why he means so much to you. Well, Reapy Cheek, I, I loved the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis, and in fact, I I used to when I was trekking long distances in the Himalayas, I always carried one or two Narnia books with me, and um, <laughs> and there's a character in that who's a mouse, and he's uh, he's a mouse with a sword <laughs> because he's very valiant. But uh, the the opportunity came for them to take a voyage to the end of the world. And, and Reapy Cheap said, I would think it a great adventure to sail over the edge of the world. <laughs> and I, I think that is life. I've, I've had a, you know, far more opportunity, far more experience of many people, wonderful people I've met, wonderful places I've been to. And I, I've had a life well beyond what anything I could be able to deserve. And... You know, all, all I can say is that in those brief glimpses of of the goodness of of God and of what we label heaven, but I, I, I it's not a place we go to when we die. It's yeah, a heaven whole, comes down to earth. Is that well, thing? Yeah. We move from one dimension, one sense of understanding into another, and whatever that is, it's it's going to be way more than what we can imagine or think, I think of. So, yeah. So from one adventure to another. Yeah. So I. I I wanted to put off that adventure for a bit because I, you know, I've got, I've got people I love. I've still got a lot of things I want to do. But um, I feel now into my fifth month, um, I've, I've had a very healthy time, a very enjoyable time. And I intend to go on with that as long as God allows it. It's, as long as he's got things for me to say, to do and accomplish, I will go on. Thank you so much, John, for, for having doing this interview with us. We're, we so much appreciate that. And appreciate you and we thank god for you thank you thank you it's been great talking with you because I, I do enjoy your podcasts i think they bring great enlightenment so thank you if you've enjoyed today's conversation you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com and could you do us a favor head over to itunes to rate the program this is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most also do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to don't forget to check out the blog for more great content that's drsunil.com helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world until next time goodbye for now <laughs>